So we have been in a series that I'm a little sad for it to be over, and a little confession from a pastor's heart. A lot of times the, the series turn out a lot better than we thought they would. A lot of times the, uh, the things that God decided to put in our view, uh, uh, they, they turn out to be exactly what I needed as I studied. And in a lot of cases, according to some of you who have given feedback, a little bit of what you needed to hear. We've been talking about our core values. We do that every August. And if, uh, if you're new to the church, our, our core values are built on our mission statement. And our mission statement is that we are all passionately becoming more like Jesus, like we want these children to. And we are committed to the transformation of our homes, our church, our community, and our world. How do we do that? We love God, we love people, we make disciples, and we make a difference. Throughout this month, we've taken a little bit of a different slant on that because we've sort of brought out the urgency that it's not just that we need to love God, we need to help others love God. It's not just that we need to love people, we need to help people love people. It's not just that we need to make disciples, but we need to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You get it. So replicate. You, you, you saw in the, the 3D printer in the bumper that, that each week has produced a, a little representation of what we're trying to say in a given day. And today we talk about making a difference and replicating a, a culture, an attitude of making a difference. And you saw that, uh, oops, you saw that what was there was a, oh, I'm sorry, we are called to be a difference maker in a world that needs us to make a difference. To the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. And our little uh, thing that we made this week was uh, a starfish. And it comes from a story that many of you are familiar with. It's called The Star Thrower. And it's a collection of essays and poems and short stories by a lady named Lauren Eastler. And The Star Thrower is sort of the signature story in this. And, and it's about uh, a man, a, a middle-aged or maybe closer to not middle-aged man who, who walks on a beach and he sees a little boy who's picking something up and just throwing it in the ocean. And the little boy has a, a sense of urgency about it. It's like he's running from one to the next, and, and he's just throwing it into the ocean. And the older man, being an older man, he says, what is it you're doing? And he says, these starfish have washed up on the beach, and because the tide is going out and the surf is coming in, they won't make it back into the water. And if they don't make it back into the water, they're going to die. So I'm helping them to get back in the water. The man, being what us old men are, decided he wanted to look at the big picture. And he said, there are hundreds of starfish. There are miles of beachfront. You aren't making a difference at all. The little boy looked at him and smiled. He picked one up, pitched it into the ocean. He said, I made a difference with that one. <laughs> and that one. 
and that one. And that's what we're trying to talk about today is that we make a difference one person at a time. To the world, you may be one person, but to one person, you may be the world. We've given this away each week. We've, we've given the little representation away to somebody in our church that reminds us of a little boy throwing starfish into the sea. And today, Steve Peters, where are you? Would you come up here and uh, let me give you this? Um, Steve uh, leads our Naomi ministry, which uh, helps widows and orphans. He leads our first responders ministry. Thank you. You are making a difference. So, what does this really look like? Today, I want to talk in terms of a, a sermon that Jesus preached, and if you are a a fan of The Chosen. It's the, the last episode of season two that he is just getting ready to preach this sermon. And it's an important sermon to him. It's a, it's a sermon that, that means a lot, and it's a sermon that points towards making a difference. I started using that language, or we did at church in 2017, when we said that, that our, our mission statement was already established, we're passionately becoming more like Jesus, and we we're committed to the transformation of our homes, our church, our community, and our world. And, and in 2017, we started asking the question, well, what does that look like? How do we do that? that? That seems general. That seems a little vague. How do we do that? And we started using the language, love God, love people, make disciples, and make a difference. That make a difference line came out of me watching cars. Stay with me. <laughs> 2017 was also the year that they opened the Georgia Department of Transportation, opened the first double diamond intersection in the city of Atlanta. That confusing mishmash at the intersection of Ashford-Dunwoody Road and 285 where you drive on the wrong side of the road until you cross the bridge and then you cross back over and they were pretty sure that was a good idea because they spent bazillions of dollars on it. It is estimated, my friend Google helped me understand, that at the time they built that thing, 50,000 cars per day exited 285 onto Ashford-Dunwoody Road. Now, I don't know if all of them make it this far north. I mean, it is two miles. But let's just say that's a good figure because it's been five years and we all know there's more cars. So let's just say that 50,000 cars a day drive up Ashford-Dunwoody Road right over here and at some point they look on their left and go, oh, that's a church. The cross is the giveaway. And they say, that's, that's a church. And my brain went, it's a wonderful life from Christmas that they show 20 bazillion times every Christmas. And it's a story about Jimmy Stewart being a man who wonders if his life made a difference. And he sent a guardian angel to show him what it would like in the world, what it would be like in the world had he never been born. And my question what if we weren't here? What if we were an office building like all the other office buildings that, that sort of clutter Ashford Dunwoody Road? What if we were in an apartment complex? 
Do, are, are, are we known as making a difference? Because I, I want to be a church that makes a difference. I don't want to just run through the programs and, and, oh, you can do this and you can do that. And, oh, look, they got a ball field. Looks like you can play ball. I want people to drive by here and kind of in their mind's eye, whether they put all this together or not, go, if that church wasn't here, Dunwoody would be worse off. If that church wasn't here doing the kind of things that they do, being the kind of church that they are, proclaiming the kind of message that they proclaim, if it wasn't here, we would be a worse community for it. And then turn it, turn it over, the, the positive. I, I'm glad they're here. My kid played ball there. My kid learned to sing there. And dear God, I'm thankful he learned to sing. The, I, he, he learned to, to do this here. He went to preschool there. He went to worship there. He was cared for. She was cared for in, in small groups, in Sunday school. She was one of 500 kids who went to vacation Bible school there in June. Day camp, student ministry, children's ministry, preschool, nursery. My babies were dedicated there. I had the, the rare privilege of performing a wedding ceremony for a woman that I dedicated as a baby when I was here as an interim pastor back in the early 2000s. We would be missed. I, I want to be missed. And you know what? You have a dream. Somewhere in your head is, is rolling around, what if I did this? What if I did this? What if I tried this great thing for God? Would I be a difference maker? So Jesus was needing to challenge his hearers because there was some, like, false news going around, some, some fake news, some, some misinformation about why he had come. He'd done a few miracles, changed water into wine, fed some people, and now they were going, okay, this is the guy. And my version of Messiah is that he kicks all the Romans out of Israel, no longer will be occupied, will return to our former glory, my kids will behave, my teeth will be white, my vision will be good, the pizza will be hot when I eat it, life will be good again because Messiah has arrived. He's going, you guys need to hear this, not why I came. I came for this thing called the kingdom of God. I, I came that we would make a difference, not, not just for this blip in history for, for right now, but I, I came that a difference could be made for all eternity in countless starfish on the beach, and those are humans who desperately need to hear the message that God loves you. And so he, he, he gave this sermon so he could say, uh, there's a difference to be made. And so the background of the sermon is that he was, uh, first he, he gave us the thing we call the Beatitudes, blessed are you, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit, all that. And then he kind of moved into this, this section of the sermon where he's talking about how we use our influence. How do we make a difference? How do we speak? How do we respond? What, what is it that we do to make a difference? And, and he used a particular illustration here in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16, where he said, here's the way. Here's, here's two illustrations, salt 
and light. And he says, I, I want to use those illustrations so you'll, you'll understand. These are, these are very common things, and especially back then. So he said, you're the salt of the earth. Let me break that down for a second. He didn't say, you might be, you ought to be, you could be, you will be. He said emphatically, you are. And so the, the verses right before this, kind of interesting in the way they mash together, he said he turned to his disciples, and then he let the wider group of disciples, all those who gathered, he, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it was likely on a, a hillside on the northern end of the Sea of Galilee. There's a, a place there that's sort of untouched from the first century, and it's a natural amphitheater that makes it really, really easy to picture in your mind's eye how he might have spoken to thousands of people and been clearly heard without a, a microphone of any kind. But he was speaking to his disciples, and so he said, disciples, you are. And he makes an equation there, right? If you are a disciple, you are salt. If you are a disciple, you are light. If you are not salt, you are not a disciple. If you are not light, you are not a disciple. He said he turned to his disciples, and he said, you are. Not you might be. You are. And then he said, you are the salt of the earth. And it's like he put it in context because their earth in their time, in their way, was about as messed up as ours is. You are the salt of the earth. This is your playground. This is your context. This is your mission field. It's, it's the earth. It's the culture. It's the society. You are the salt of the earth. You're supposed to make a difference in this culture. A culture that is fallen. It is not what God intended it to be. Back in the first century, people aren't treating each other right. People aren't acting right. They're sacrificing children. They're selling children. There's prostitution. There's slavery. There's injustice. 21st century. You don't respect human life, especially the preborn. You don't respect God's design for sexuality. You don't respect God's design for gender. You don't respect God's design for treating each other. You, you don't respect. You are the salt of the earth. This is the earth. This is the culture that He's given us to be. And it's not you might be. It's you are the salt of the earth. Then how shall saltiness be restored if the salt has lost its taste? Interestingly enough, in the, the research, the, the scientists that look at this, and they go, well, that's why the Bible doesn't make any sense. It is not possible for salt to lose its taste. You cannot, you, you cannot unsalt the chemical composition of salt. It will always be salt no matter what it's salt. Well, a better way maybe to read that would be if the salt has lost its effectiveness. Because salt was important. There are some that say in that century, salt was more valuable than gold. Salt was payment for Roman soldiers. 
That's why you hear the, the phrase, he's not worth his salt. Salt was payment. It was, it was seasoning. I, maybe you've had this experience. Maybe you haven't. I have. Ball game coming on. Diet Dr. Pepper in the refrigerator. Went to the store. Got me a jar of peanuts. I'm good to go. First inning. First bite of peanuts. I look at the jar. It's unsalted. They might as not well play the game. What do you do with unsalted peanuts? What do you do with unsalted popcorn? What do you do with unseasoned jambalaya? What, do you, what, do you, why, what, what, what is food without seasoning? And salt was that. Salt was a preservative. The fishermen would catch their fish and they would lay their fish out in, in, a, in a, a crate or a container. Then they would cover it with a layer of salt, put more fish down, put more salt down, put more fish down, put more salt down. And that way when they finally got to the market with no refrigeration in between, their fish would still be fresh because they had preserved it with salt. Did the same thing with meat. You rub salt on meat to keep the decaying process held back. Salt was a preservative, salt was a seasoning, salt was a payment, salt was an irritant. Anybody ever cut your foot on a shell while you're walking along the beach and then wander into the ocean? Hello. A little bit of a sting there. The cool thing about that is that it's also beginning to promote healing, but it's, it's an irritant. It lets you know that there's something wrong. It lets you know that there's a wound. It lets you know that something needs to be healed. Something needs to be fixed. And all of those things were in mind of the people who heard Jesus talk. And maybe they even thought about the great salt sea, the dead sea, a hundred miles to the south of where they were. Maybe you were thinking about that, a, a place where nothing grows, nothing lives, nothing swims, nothing survives. And so he said, if, a, if salt has lost its effectiveness, if it's somehow become contaminated or diluted, and, and you wouldn't use it to pack fish because it's nasty, you wouldn't use it to rub on a wound because it's gotten in, uh, something in it, some impurity. If salt has become contaminated, it's no longer good for anything else. And guess what they did with that kind of salt? They poured it on pathways so that vegetation wouldn't grow, and so the pathway would remain a pathway because salt kills everything. And he says that, that if salt has lost its effectiveness, if salt has somehow lost its focus, if salt has somehow allowed sin to, to creep in, allowed uh, uh, priorities to, to shift away from that of the kingdom of God, the ways of God, the voice of God, the plan of God, if, if, if somehow the disciples who are salt have lost that focus, then maybe they're, they're best thrown on the path. Here's a second illustration. It says, you're the light of the world. City on a hill can't be hidden. People don't light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand it gives light to all who are in the house. First century light was a valuable commodity. Oil was tremendously expensive, and they had tiny little clay lamps that would be just fine for a family who lived in a one-room house. 
And they would put the, the light out when the sun came down and the oil would be in the little reservoir. It looked a little bit like Aladdin's lamp or a teacup or, or a tea pitcher. And you'd shove a wick down the hole that you would think pouring from. And there would be oil in the reservoir and that light would be enough for the house. Larger lamps, obviously, for the, the, the cities, the, the streets or whatever. They didn't have electricity. And so the, the, the idea of light was incredibly valuable. And the, the illustration Jesus was trying to go at here is that a city on a hill can't be hidden. So you're a long, long way off. You can see the lights. That's true today. You're approaching Atlanta uh, from the west especially. I've said this before. There's a place near Douglasville where you crest a hill and the city of Atlanta is, is visible the lights of the city, the, the uniqueness of the skylight. And Jesus was getting after that. He says the light is important. The salt is important. Why is the salt important? Because it preserves, it seasons, it irritates. It, it's important. Why is the light important? It, it brings the, the dark into the light. It shines light on, on things in the culture, the, the, the culture that has fallen, the culture that is depraved, the culture that's not getting any better, the culture that is our opportunity, our mission field. And so he says the, the, the light is needed in the culture. The, the disciples need to shine a light on the things that are impure in the culture. The, the, the disciples need to be salt in the culture. And he says you don't hide a lamp, put it under a basket. You let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. A few decades later, Paul picked up on this theme. And he said, here's the deal. We can't be difference makers without acknowledging that it is God behind all of it. He said we're supposed to be difference makers. Either we make the world different or the world makes us different. Teenagers, when I was a youth pastor and somebody would ask me, can I date somebody who's not a Christian? I would always ask the same question. Are you the influencer or are you the influenced? Because that question has to be answered before any relationship. Are, are you the influencer in the relationship? Are you salt? Are you light? Or are, are they salting and lighting their way of life onto you? That, that's the question you need to answer. The label of being a disciple is just a label unless we're acting out the label and being salt and light. So, so it is my assumption that you are an influencer in every relationship that you're in. So what did Paul say about it? He said, we can't forget that it's God who gives us all of it. And he says, it is by grace that we are saved. By faith. And even that is not of yourself. I love the construction of that. It is by grace that you are saved. God's activity. Someone once said, the acrostic for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. That you're saved by grace. It is God's activity. Your response to that is faith. But even your faith has to be a gift of God because you're human and you didn't find a way to brag about it. That's what it says. It says, lest anyone should boast. I've got more faith than you. Nobody has any faith unless it's given by God. But a lot of times we forget the rest of that. 
We say it is by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a free gift of God, lest anyone should boast. Well, Brian, uh, when he first came, was fond of saying we are saved from something for something. From something to something. We are saved from sin. We repent of our sin. We realize that we are trying to live life our own way. We turn our lives over to God. Some of you need to do that because of the way you're working, it's not working. And we realize that we repent of our sins. We ask God's forgiveness. We begin to live life as a disciple. Now, by definition, we are salt. We are light. But we are saved for something. And Paul finishes the thought. He says, for ye, we are his workmanship. The word workmanship is also translated in the art community as magnum opus. The crowning work of an artist. The, the signature achievement of a painter, a, a singer, a, a playwright, the, 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 the signature, the, the one thing that you remember that person for. Well, guess what? You are the one thing that God wants to be remembered for. You. Now, He loved you so much that He sent His only Son that whoever would believe in Him, have faith in Him, would not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.16. And so we are His workmanship, created what? From something to something. We are saved from sin for good works. Created in Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. He, the works that He thought of from the beginning. So the dream that's rolling around in your head, the make a difference dream that's rolling around in your head, what you think you might do at the middle school, what you think you might do at the workplace, what you think you might do at Dunwoody Baptist Church, He, he thought of that before the beginning of time. And He's planted it in your head to roll around. So what does that look like Practically. You heard me say a minute ago that we always need volunteers. We always need some of you make a difference dreamers in the nursery, in the preschool, the children's ministry. We need 200 plus volunteers every June for Vacation Bible School. We need coaches in our sports ministry, referees on the basketball floor. We need people to help with the student ministry and the student band, and, and we need people to help in the arts ministry with the drama team. We don't ever not need volunteers. Double, triple negative, I get it. We need you. And so if you're saying, how can I make a difference? Well, think about what it is in your head. Oh, those babies are so cute. I'd love to rock some babies. Guess what? We'd love you to rock some babies. Now, we're going to background check you and make sure that you're not, oh, well, whatever. But we want you to volunteer. We want you to plug in. We want you to say, this is what God's wired me for, for, to do. I, 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 I was a pretty good soccer player in college. Okay. We'll let you coach. We'll, we'll, we'll let you help. We'll let you referee. It's probable that whatever make a difference dream is rolling around in your head, 
that there is a way to put that to work here at this church or in the community or in your neighborhood. Maybe you got a dream for movie night in your neighborhood. Our IT uh, director, Gary McIntyre, he, he decided he wanted to meet his neighbors. He started game night in his front yard, uh, and now there's like a waiting list every Sunday night. He's making a difference. We've got a thing coming up here called The Pitch. And you saw the video about it. We're going to give away $100,000 in one night, but I don't want you to go, yay, Dunwoody Baptist Church. They've got $100,000 to give away. We have nothing if God doesn't give it to us. And yet it felt like a way to encourage some partners to clarify what it is that they thought God was doing. And so on September 11th, we'll gather in the evening you can register for that online. The only reason you register, so we'll know whether to get you a snack or not. You can register for that online, and, and you're going to see six ministries explain with passion and enthusiasm because there's like a $50,000 prize for the one who, who is voted on by our panel of experts, which means they said yes. So maybe you get a chance to be inspired on that night, September 11th, and, and here, this is what God is doing among these partners. Maybe it gives you an idea for what it is that you need to do. But hear me, this whole series has been about discipleship. And if you're not a disciple, you're not expected to be light or salt or a disciple maker. And, and, you, and you miss out on the the whole magic of what it is that God does when His people say yes to Him. So I would ask you to do a little inventory. If you've never said yes to Him, if you've never said, I repent of my sins, I I pray that God will forgive me of those sins and, and give me a life that points towards Him. We've got people in the lobby with name tags or green shirts. We've got pastors all over the place. Let's have that conversation today and make sure that we know where we stand. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. We thank you for watching over us. We thank you for the way that you love us, that you've given us an opportunity to make a difference. Help us to be difference makers. Help us to replicate discipleship in a way that honors you, in a way that blesses you, in a way that lets people know that we are salt and light we season, we preserve, we irritate a little bit, we illuminate a lot because we want to live in such a way that they may see our good works and glorify you, not us, but they may glorify our Father who is in heaven. Let that be our week. Let that be our prayer. Let that be our dream. In Jesus' name.